Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast is a Christ-centered podcast established in 2019 and hosted weekly by Pastor Chris Busher, addressing a host of topics such as the Great Commission, Christian discipleship, and often featuring interviews with special guests who are experts in their field. The views and events expressed on this podcast and all related materials belong solely to their author and not necessarily to the author's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. While all attempts are made to present accurate information, some information may become outdated over time. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast makes every attempt to timely update any and all such information. Without further delay, here's another powerful episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Faith and Family Fellowship. Once again, my name is Dallas Montague, the co-host. I really look forward to the conversation that we're going to have today with Justin Toppins. And so I'm glad you guys are here today. I hope this episode goes viral because what Justin has to share is incredible. And I think it's a message that we all need to hear and something that we all need to be reminded of and take away from. And so he wrote a book called The Outcast Daughter, What I Learned from Hope and Faith from Conversations with Sex Trafficking Survivors. And for over a year, Justin and his wife journeyed around to learn about the dark world of sex trafficking. They sat down with the victims, the survivors, the sex workers, and even the law enforcement to learn about this, to write this book. And what he shares today are just some of those stories and the testimonies that went into writing this book, and I get to ask him some questions along the way, and his story is just incredible. One of the things that Justin and I talked about was that we live in a sex-craved culture. You look at the music that's being released today, the TV shows, the movies, the billboards, everything is around sex. And we're in this culture today where that's sex sells, right? We hear that all the time, sex sells. And people are being exposed to this and exposed over the years, and we are led into objectifying women. And that's kind of what Justin and I were talking about. And that's one of the biggest problems with sex trafficking is the objectification of women. So as he goes in and as he starts talking to me about this book and about his stories that he had on the streets, one of the biggest things that stuck out to me was judging people based on what they look like, based on what they've been a part of. And I call it the sin of partiality, what James is talking about in chapter 2. And so I want to read that. For if a man wearing a gold ring and a fine clothing comes to your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, Hey, you sit here, you sit in the good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen what is poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. And what I want to mention about what Justin talked about today and about this verse is that I think sometimes we can be guilty of partiality. I think we spend time around people who sin the same way that we do, if that makes sense. And so we have these pockets of sin in our life, and we pick people to be around us who have those same convictions, who have the same sin pockets, if that makes sense. And so when we do that, we don't give the people who need our attention the attention that they need. Whether we're intending to or not, we harm these people. Just like the prostitutes that he was talking to, he said that as he sat down and talked with these women and these people, that he felt like their friend. And I think that's awesome because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus ate with the sinners. Jesus was friends of the sinners. And I think that's exactly what we're supposed to do. We can represent Jesus. These are the people that God wants us to impact, to serve, to befriend. But they don't meet up to our standards. We cut them out of our life. We don't give them the attention. And I think that it's important that we remind ourselves we need to see these people Every single person that we meet, we need to see them through Christ's perspective. 
We need an internal perspective of this person's character, not by who they believe that they are, not by the way that they're acting, not what the world says about them, but who God says about them. That's the most important thing, is seeing them through the heavenly lens. That's it. That's what we're supposed to do. And God put these people around us for us to influence them, for us to impact them and to serve them. Partiality means to forsake the people who need us. They need us. So I just want to ask you guys today, I just want to kind of reflect this, hold up a mirror to you. Uh, How are you doing with this? This is a simple test, and it's something that he kind of convicted me about as well, is who am I giving my attention to, my time to? Who am I serving? Who am I spending my time with? And so that kind of opened me up a little bit, is to not judge people the way that they look, not to judge people the way that they sit, the way that they talk, you know, just to love them through Christ's perspective. And so that was a great reminder. Thank you, Justin, for helping me out, giving me some, some encouragement with this, and I look forward to the podcast today. And if you guys have not subscribed, join the Family of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. You're listening to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors. Whether you're a believer or not, undoubtedly you have questions. Do you want to know more about God, the material universe, Jesus, the Bible, Christian doctrine, morality? Nothing is off limits and there are no questions too big or too small when it comes to God. Solving God promises to provide honest answers to the toughest questions without compromising the truth, all in an effort to help you solve God. Solving God on YouTube today. Volunteer firefighters do not have the death benefits that career firefighters have. Fallen Heroes Foundation is a nonprofit organization created to support volunteer firefighters and their families as they recover from tragic loss. The foundation was created when one of their own experienced a time of crisis and the volunteers were there to help. The foundation helps meet the financial needs of an affected family as they get back on their feet. To partner with and support this foundation, visit fallenheroesfoundation.org today. Justin, how are you today? I'm great, Dallas. How are you? I'm pretty good, too. I'm just trying to survive this coronavirus time, and things are getting back to normal in the States a little bit, but things here in Brazil are still pretty crazy, and I think we're going to enter into an official lockdown pretty soon, and so I'm just trying to get by. How about Nashville? Are you guys almost out of the quarantine time, or are you guys going back to normal now? It's slow. I think 89 of 95 counties in Tennessee are, are reopened with some restrictions, and then, but since we're in one of the major metropolitan areas, so like Memphis and Nashville are kind of slowly reopening certain facilities. So, you know, still can't go to dinner and stuff like that, but um, things are things are coming back. Yeah, it's been pretty long. I'm ready for it to be over. And I'm glad that you guys are kind of getting back to normal a little bit there as well. Now, Justin, if I can have you take the next five to 10 minutes and share your Christian testimony with us, we like to ask our interviewees if they can just share their story. So, Justin, where does your story begin? Sure, absolutely. So I grew up about two and a half hours east of here in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, and um, grew up with parents who were both Sunday school teachers and um, father who was a deacon and spent a good portion of my childhood and adolescence in church. Uh, Became a Christian at nine years old, uh, just at home, kind of talking to my dad about some of the things I was feeling at that time and prayed and uh, became a Christian then, and I for much of my upbringing, I guess after that, I sort of like I was 
active in, uh, a lot of youth research activities. And then in college, I became a youth intern. And when I became a youth intern, um, the youth minister actually left to do missions. And we had another intern, and he actually left to go to seminary. So I ended up doing a lot more than I was really thinking uh, I would be doing initially. And um, kind of, you know, I had made a decision that I was going to go to seminary at that point, but I was a little burnt out as well. I think it was kind of a bad place to enter seminary. But I went for a year and a half. I studied uh, Old Testament. And um, I think like a lot of people in our, you know, generation, generation under us, like had a lot of doubts and things like that. And um, through mostly science-based doubts, because I was uh, such, you know, having studied uh, Genesis so much um, in Old Testament uh, studies was kind of something that came up over and over. And I'd say that the experience that I had most recently with what led to writing this book has helped sort of reaffirm things. I, I was never the kind of person, even even with doubts, I would always be seeking God. Yeah, And I never was a refuter or anything like that. But yeah, I definitely went through some some struggles, I would say. And so after you did the year and a half of seminary, what happened then? So after I went to seminary, I uh, also, anybody who follows me on Instagram or has seen me on Instagram knows that I was, um, had done some acting in my life as well. And I moved out to California where I met my wife and she was actually working in production. She worked on a couple of TV shows and one that ran for, I think, uh, six years. And they're actually bringing it back. Uh, so, but she's not, she's not working out this time, but anything um, I maybe have seen before. Yeah, probably. Have you seen, do you know leverage that was on TNT? Mm, it doesn't ring a bell, but if I saw a picture of it or a trailer, maybe I would, I'll take a look after. It's a very unique, uh, I, I think like a certain audience really get into it. But the same people that made that made this show called librarians that's on now. Um, leverage actually had like Timothy Hutton on it and, um, a couple other, Barely, like he had won a um, an Oscar, so he's kind of more well known, I guess. But uh, the, I mean, the only reason I think that's pertinent is we got married. My wife was really burnt out on the industry, and we decided we had looked at a couple places. We ended up moving back to Nashville, and after being here for a little while, um, we talked about potentially like maybe we should start a production company because we really like we both like filming, we both like, but but just without the stress of you know what what she was doing. And so I was just kind of thinking we would start with the documentary and we were um, just watching the news uh, one night kind of near uh, at my parents' house actually. And there was a story about this girl that went to high school and it was a rival high school of mine uh, where I grew up. And I, I was really interested in her story. So I just reached out to her. And I said, you know, would you be interested in maybe like letting us help you? Because she was starting a um, a nonprofit at the time, and it was a sort of a nonprofit locally to work with sex trafficking survivors. Wow. So we we talked for a minute, and we um, we met for coffee at this um, place in the old city in Knoxville. And I I said in the book, it was so weird for me because we we met for coffee, and my wife came with me, and it was just the three of us. And the scroll starts telling me, you know, this building that was next door was kind of an abandoned, like warehouse looking building, but it used to be a nightclub and she was a go-go dancer there. Mm. And before she was trafficked, which, which started there, um, she worked there for, you know, several months 
and because we were the same age, I realized like I had actually, there was a, a pizza place across the street and I used to go there with my college ministry when, when I was living in Knoxville. And it was just kind of surreal because we were actually very likely on the same street at the same time, multiple times, because we went every Monday. But that's how the process for the documentary started. Hmm. And got her story, followed her around, talked to her for a while. And a, a lot of what she said was so compelling to me that I sort of made notes throughout the process. And every time that we met somebody else and talked to them, I kept notes on their story. So the, the book ended up coming because after we finished this documentary, we, we had it distributed through a film distribution company in Florida. And, and we were just kind of sitting around one night and I was like, I really feel like I need to be able to put some of this stuff that because it was so weighted and heavy, you know, all these conversations mm. um, that I needed to be able to put it in written form. And um, so that's how the book part came to be. Wow. And the title of that book? The title of the book is The Outcast Daughter, What I Learned About Hope and Faith from Conversations with um, Sex Trafficking Survivors. Yeah. And I want to talk about that book a little bit more today. That sounds, that title is just like, whoa, what's going on here? And I looked at your your stuff on Amazon just a little bit, what you sent to us, and it was really intriguing. And so if you could just take a little time and just kind of explain about the book, one of the questions I want to ask you is, what was it like talking to these sex traffic workers and the survivors and the authorities when writing this book? Well, I think the thing that I kept saying to my wife and, and really anybody that would listen, you know, when I when I talk to people about this is like, you just get this sense that it's it's always when you're when you're filming something or even when you're interviewing someone, it's like there's a subject, you know. Um, and I just could not see these people. I mean, as recently as last week one of the girls that we talked to actually sent a text message uh, to me and my wife and said, Hey, I've got a new number. Just wanted you guys to have it because it seems like almost every person that I talked to sort of felt like my friend, you know, at, at the end of these conversations and, and these days that we spent together sitting down from that. That's the thing that struck me is we're the same, you know, I mean, everybody has these different uh, life experiences and it's so easy when we categorize people to just for them to be other. Mm-hmm. And, um, what I found was just for some reason, I think because these people experienced some, you know, much darker things than I have in my life, it was very easy to be authentic. Um, there wasn't a lot of things that they were afraid to talk about. Whereas I think in normal conversations you have with your neighbors, uh, it, it's it's a little different. I'm sure it was just crazy talking to these women and talking to the, the other people that you talked with. Do you have a couple stories or something that you can share or a big testimony or something? Yeah, I think there's a lot of stories, and a lot of things that stood out to me. You know, obviously, some people just working in this. One of the um, ladies we spoke to worked at the DA's office in Nashville here, and she started out on the vice unit. And so she was working as a a police officer undercover um, as a prostitute, which is basically, you know, standing out in certain parts of town and trying to get people to solicit her and then making an arrest. That's wild. Wow. Yeah, and it's it's very like, you know, and I live in Nashville and I've been here for, you know, almost a decade and she, you know, took me in her car and just parked and we got out and she showed me this is where I would stand, this is who I talked to, and just there she was like, I don't feel comfortable us being out here for too long, you know. But just her time there motivated her to start uh, something called the John School, which basically takes women and expunges their record 
if they're willing to sort of get some training to where they can do another job or something like that. And um, it teaches Johns and men who buy or purchase sex, like, you know, that's a, that can go on your record, obviously. And it sort of gives them a chance to meet the people that humanizes the people that they're purchasing mm. and sort of see the impact, like the ripple effect that it has uh, when they do that. So that was somebody that, that I thought was, it was really great to hear her, um, sort of take her work and expand it. But I think the the, the girl um, that I write about in the book in Knoxville, her name was Angie, and she impacted me maybe more than anybody else because she just said things that I, I thought that has to be true. You know, I mean, we were talking about how they played a role and, you know, she would say like, you can make a decision, you know, that I'm going to do something different and then your car breaks down. Mm-hmm you know, or you lose a job and you end up in those same spots again. We were talking about how faith, specifically like for her, how her relationship with Jesus is what, you know, changed her life. And she was saying to me, you know, it's sometimes hard for me to have conversations in church that are the same as what I've had when I've worked in my ministry, because she was like, I have felt Jesus way more on a street corner um, than I have in church sometimes. And I just thought about, you know, the way that Jesus interacted with people in the New Testament, and how real that probably is, you know. So um, I definitely think she was one of the people that impacted me the most and gave me a, a little perspective uh, yeah. in, in this project. In talking about perspective, what was God speaking to you during this time? What's the biggest thing that you took away from all of this? Well, I think um, from God, the main thing is this sort of ripple effect. You know, I think it sort of pierced me to think about the idea of objectifying people. Um, it happens, obviously, it doesn't have to be women, but I think it's a big issue with men objectifying women. And it would be easy to, like, sort of preach that message because I feel like a lot of people do that, you know. But when you're confronted with it, you know, there's times where it's very convicting personally. And you can see like in your own life where you've done this in the past and even areas like where you continue to do it. And it's, it's um, that for me was a big, big thing. And, and the other thing is just authenticity, you know, because I think there's a lot of time wasted when we just try to um, say that everything's fine, everything's okay, you know, blow off conversations when people ask how we're doing particularly when it comes to faith, because I think right now there's so many conversations that would benefit from some authenticity. So those two things for me were were probably the biggest takeaways. Mm -hmm. And after you met with these women and after you heard their stories, did you want to create an organization or something else? What did you want to do after that? So I did, I did think about that. Um, One thing that, that was really interesting when we first started researching this topic is there are a ton of organizations that either work with or claim to work with trafficking victims or trafficking survivors. You know, and mm-hmm. when we were in, uh, we were talking to uh, Tawan McCarty, who is a well-known advocate who's had some legal troubles herself recently, and she was basically saying that there's a, and, and not just her, that the DA's office, when I spoke to them as well, just pointed out these big issues that exist in terms of housing. Um, a lot of that, I think there was, at the time we did this, so back in 2016, 2017, I think there were only 300 something beds 
um, nationally for sex trafficking survivors, which when you look at the numbers, it's, that's definitely not enough. Mm. And there's no real long-term support system for these people. You know, Tawan pointed out to us that it's kind of like, you know, if someone is, um, if someone's being raped 12 times a day, they're going to need counseling. And there's not resources mm. like that available. The, the issue is when you look at um, creating a foundation, we did some research and found some big issues where some organizations would not really be clear about where the money was going. So we don't have beds for these people. And supposedly they're raising funds and doing some things in the community. But there was, there's been some concern about misappropriation of funds. And so what we felt like the best thing that we could do is promote the people we met that are absolutely working and doing the best that they can to mm-hmm. uh, to help those people. Um, things like uh, there's a program like Bridges of Hope uh, in Memphis that is um, doing great work. Kimberly there is fantastic. And um, there's the lady named Kelly Alsobrook. Um, she has also written a book and she has a radio show. Um, she's actually a survivor herself. She has a radio show where she hosts survivors and they sort of kind of, they get their stories out there. And she actually took us when we met her and showed us the building that they had bought to convert into housing. It was like an old Chinese restaurant. They were converting it to housing for survivors. So I think when I, when I looked at it, I see so many people doing so much. You know, Angie actually said to me, like, maybe your part is just doing this project without funding. Like, maybe your part is just being a voice. And I was, I, I think, um, when I see the passion that a lot of these people have, uh, I, I felt she might be right. So, yeah. What else would you like to share with our listeners? Anything that you learned or took away that you just really need to share? Um, yeah, I, I would share, I think, two things. One, as um, just as people, we need to be aware that these things really do happen in, in large cities, but also in small towns all across the country. Um, you know, I named a few people that I would support, um, like the Well House in Birmingham. I would say anybody who hears this should, if you're ever in Houston, Texas, definitely check out the Museum of Modern Slavery. Um, we went there. It's actually a museum that's in um, a former brothel. So it's a really cool place to see. Um, well, cool, but it is, it is, it is very educational. And um, they'll tell you right there, like when you leave, like, you know, if you want to help, here's some ways that you can help, here's some things you can do. And some of it is just, you know, promoting um, the right things and uh, looking for those places that you can reach out, whether it's just dropping off supplies. I mean, that's something that Angie I was talking about was doing. She would just find a brothel in her town and there were plenty um, and take cookies by there once a week. So uh, just making people aware of those things. And then the other thing, which I, which I already touched on, is just I think there is a big need. Um, and I know it's touchy, but I, I think people don't realize um, how ingrained it is in our culture to objectify women. Like this is a really not, not looking at people as people or as a person, but just seeing people as objects. I, mm-hmm. I had the chance uh, as part of this project to talked to a professor at UCLA who had done a study with uh, Johns, or people that purchase sex. And I took away some of the quotes I actually uh, put in the book, some of them where he described, like, he said, how would, how do you feel um, 
after you do this? Like, do you have any shame or does this bother you? And he's like, not really. It's, it's kind of like buying a cup of coffee. You know, he was like, you do, you have that need met and then you sort of discard the cup. And it was like, really, uh, it sounds harsh and it, you know, that was obviously highlighted in the studies because people were like, I can't believe people look at other people that way. But I think that it's way more widespread um, in that culture than people want to acknowledge. So I would just say to anybody um, who is working in ministry or, or even not working in ministry to just be able to do a self-evaluation of that, um, you know, once in a while and see where you are so that you can definitely help other people. And then I think, um, just make the world better for those of us that, uh, have daughters, you know? Yeah. And I think like you're saying exactly the influence of TV shows, of music, of a lot of different things are the sex culture. You know, we definitely are in that that place. Absolutely. And it's and there's a counterculture movement, but I it's still sort of misguided because I think people don't really understand the impact that that some of their uh decisions have on other people. So, yeah, like I said, if if I get, if everybody had the chance to walk through the Museum of Modern Slavery, I think they would feel a lot differently. They don't need to sit down and and meet people or follow around prostitutes and chat with them like we did. They can just see it for themselves in a um a much safer format. Yeah. Yep. And if you guys are interested in this book, it'll be on Amazon and I'm going to put the link below. And where else can they find you? You said you have an Instagram account. Yeah, that's fine. They can, um, my personal Instagram is JC Toppins. And uh, the book is also going to be available on iTunes and is already up on Barnes & Noble. So I think it's distributed by Ingram. So it should be a pretty accessible to people, Great. at least online. Well, thanks again for being a part of the podcast today, Justin. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dallas. I appreciate it. And again, if I can have you pray us out to end the podcast, that would be great. All right, we'll do. God, we just thank you for this uh, time that we've had together to to talk about this uh, experience and um, just pray that as you've impacted me with it, that you'd be able to impact others as well and um, just do your work through it. Let me pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've just listened to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast with your host, Pastor Chris Busher. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast was recorded live in studio with final editing made before uploading. Subscribe today to Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For more fantastic daily content, visit Pastor Chris Busher online via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Don't miss the next episode on Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast.